Hello, I'm Eunice. I'm a fourth year studying physiology and history. And can you hear me? Yes, okay. I will be doing the reading today. So it's in your booklets, Joshua 1. Um, so yeah. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, east of the Jordan, toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Cool. Well, as I get set up, maybe you can as well. You can keep that outline out if you want to take notes. Um, if you've got your Bibles, have them open as well. Um, and we'll get right on into this. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm one of the staff workers here at the Christian Union, and I'll be taking us through this particular passage uh, today. I'm really glad to have you here, the, the actual real public meeting of the CU. Like we said, Tuesday's a bit of a warm-up. Although the, the eagle-eyed among you, the, the super-keen Christians who seem to come to both to hear two different talks, may realise that I've scabbed a slide or two from Tuesday, but that's OK, you don't need to know that. Um, let's, let, let's think about this. So we have just arrived at university, some of us for the first time, uh, and it's one of those weeks where everything is just so crazy and so full-on, your head is just buzzing with a thousand pieces of information, and you just kind of have this, this, this overwhelming sense of uncertainty, an overwhelming sense of expectation. Um, and, and though this is true for all of us every year when we come to university and we're trying to work out where the heck social sciences lecture theatre is... Uh, this is especially true for you if this is your first year at university. Uh, you are making a transition that you have anticipated for years. 
Now, some of you will be feeling like that, that wild excitement. Uh, others of you will be feeling wild anxiety. Uh, but whichever wild angle you're coming from, I suspect the words of Joshua chapter 1 that we heard just read will really resonate with you. You're standing on the edge of a foreign land. You're about to step in and take possession of it. And Moses is now dead. You no longer have the support of teachers or parents. And you know, as much as you might be like, finally, I'm free from their oppression. I can do what I want. I'm going to go sit in a coffee shop all day and read philosophy or whatever it is that floats your boat that you could never do at high school. There's no escaping the fact that you are now very much on your own. Everything rests on your shoulders. This is the first time you have self-determination. And I want to say that is a heavy weight to bear, isn't it? The safety rails are gone. The bumpers are gone. So you can actually literally roll a gutter ball in your life. And so when you hear the words of Joshua 1 verse 9 and God speaks and he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, that's a tremendous comfort, isn't it? God is with me. And so like Joshua, wherever I, whatever I set out to do, wherever my foot treads, whether it's the Oak Lawn or the business school or up at Winthrop Hall, wherever I go, God will help me and I will succeed. And I want to ask the question as we start off the university year, is that true? These verses are very well known. Uh, if you've grown up as a Christian, uh, the chances are you've had this as a, as a Bible verse at Sunday school or it's been a motivational poster on your wall or on your desktop background or whatever it is. And the reason these verses are so well known is because emotionally they, they penetrate, don't they? They kind of cut through the circumstances and they speak directly to our anxieties and they speak directly to our desires. But do these verses promise the unmitigated success that they seem to promise? Are these verses a prophetic word for you as you set out on your adult life here at UWA? That's the question that I have for today as we look at Joshua 1. Uh, And that's what hopefully together as we look at this passage we can find out. Uh, And so to to kind of give us a bit of a warm-up, just a running start into the passage, a few things we need to know about the book of Joshua. Uh, The book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And it takes us through that period of Israel's history between their wandering in the wilderness. They've just been uh, redeemed and and they've come out of Egypt, out of slavery. They've disobeyed God because they didn't trust him. And so now he's in the, the wilderness for 40 years. And it's between that point there and the point where they enter finally into the promised land of Canaan. Uh, And so the book of Joshua really captures that transition from wilderness to home. uh, And and that's why it's called the book of Joshua, because underneath all of that, you've got Joshua's leadership kind of driving this whole thing along. And the thing to get about Joshua, though, is that even though it's talking about a particular moment in Israel's history, it is more than just history. In fact, one of the confusions that we tend to have is that when we look at it in our English Bibles, what we see is Joshua is the beginning of a whole list of books that just seem to detail Israel's history. Uh, but if we looked at it in the Hebrew Bible, in the original Hebrew order, they actually take Joshua, it's still the sixth book in, in the order, um, but it's classed as one of the prophets. You kind of raise your eyebrow at that. It's like, oh, I just did modern history at high school, and that was certainly not a prophetic book. It was the most boring thing in the world. Uh, but here, according to the Scriptures, we have this idea that Joshua is not mere history. It's actually something more profound than that. It's actually detailing something about God and his interactions with his people and the world. It tells us something about him. 
So it's not just the, the, the recounting of details so much as an account of how God relates to his people. And it tells us who are kind of in the future times how God interacted with people in past times so that we know what to expect and we know how to respond and act. It helps the future generations of God's people be encouraged and rebuked in their own time. And that's true for the Old Testament people. It was in later generations in the Old Testament. Uh, But it's especially true now for Christians uh, in the New Testament people of God. So if we have a look quickly up here, this is Romans chapter 15. Uh, This is kind of a key verse to get us into the Old Testament. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. He's speaking to Christians at this point. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And what that does is we step into the book of Joshua for this semester is it changes the question for us. Because we no longer need to worry about whether or not Joshua 1 is a prophetic word for us. It is. The question is no longer if. The question is how. And that is the work that we need to do and the work that we're going to do today. So let's jump into the passage. If you've got your passage there in your thing, uh, have a look and read along. And the first thing you'll notice, uh, quite a provocative beginning, Joshua begins with a death. Have a look there in verse 1 with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. So a bit of repetition there. We get it. Moses is dead. Why is this a big deal? Well, Moses has been the leader of God's people. And now there's a leadership vacuum. And what God wants is for Joshua to step in and fill that place. And frankly, that is terrifying. Because if you flick a page back in your Bibles, you might not be able to do this in your little things, which is why I've got it up on the screen. This is how the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, ends. This is talking about Moses, he's died. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, big claim, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent to him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, free tip as you start your uni career at UWA When you do a group presentation, my sincere condolences, when you do a group presentation, go first. Because the longer you wait, the more likely it is that group of students from Perth Mod will get up and do their HD performance or whatever it is. And it's at that point that whatever kind of last minute nonsense you decide to present in that class, it will be compared to whatever they did for their HD. Okay? And so what we have here in chapter 1 of Joshua is Moses' shadow looming large and hanging over everything. Now, do this with me. Skim through the passage. I'm not going to read it out to you again. Um, but, but notice how many times Moses is mentioned versus Joshua. Okay? The book is called Joshua. And in chapter 1, Moses gets 11 mentions. Joshua, 4. Moses is called the servant of God. Now, that seems like a pretty poor term in our society. That's massive. He, that was pretty well exclusively his title. Like, that is, that is mad props, massive honour. What is Joshua? He's Moses' aid. And so what we have here is a green leader who's kind of been thrust into this experienced role who is just not even in the same league as Moses, and yet he is the one that God has determined will lead his people into the promised land. 
And so he says to Joshua this, halfway through verse 2, he says, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. There's the shadow again. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Now, just to give you an idea, and here's your stolen slide. This is that swathe of land that that God just told Moses that he was going to take. And to give you an idea, um, Joshua is sitting right here on this side of the river, and he's about to go to that side of the river. It is a massive swathe of land. And I don't care really um, how amazing Joshua is at this point. There's only one thing I'd be thinking if I was Joshua. I'm not Moses. And it's here that we see the first lesson from the prophetic history of Joshua. And here it is. God's promises don't depend on God's leaders or on God's people. God's promises depend on God. You would have noticed there at the end of verse 3 that the land that God was giving the Israelites was promised to Moses. But that promise predates Moses. In fact, uh, that promise for the land of Canaan was first made to a guy called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, The Lord said to Abram, he gets renamed to Abraham a little bit later on in his life, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this promise, the first time it's made here in Genesis 12, God repeats in various places to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob. And then after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, he repeats it then to Moses. And so this isn't just a kind of a throwaway line. This is something that God has repeated and consistently told them, I will give you the land. And it's important to understand here that this promise that he keeps repeating to himself is not just for the benefit of Abraham and his family. If you have a look there again at verse 3 of Genesis 12, what do you notice about why God is doing this? Well, he says right there at the end that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the reason God has promised to do all of these things is not just for Abraham, but for the world. And for those of you who know the bigger picture of the Bible, this is God's salvation plan for the whole of humanity. Because the whole of the world has been put under the curse of sin and death because they have rejected God. And God says, I will not leave them there. I will do something about it and I will bless them. And so here's Joshua. He's just come home from the funeral of Israel's greatest leader. And God says, now's the time. And humanly speaking, (laughs) I don't care how amazing Joshua is, he's not that great. And yet, rather than put a strange and massive burden on Joshua, you know, kind of like go read eight books on leadership and then do a course on military strategy and and, then kind of do this and get a mentor or whatever else it is, UWA mentor, you do that, that sort of thing. He encourages him with words to the effect that this thing, Joshua, that I'm asking you to do, this amazing massive thing that you could not possibly achieve on your own, that thing, well, it's as good as done. Have a look at verse 5 there. No one will be able to stand against you, Joshua, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
And then a little bit later there in verse 9, that classic verse, have I not commanded you? So God here is being very kind. He's repeating his comfort to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And as you look at those verses, I want you to see the reason that, Jesus, that Joshua can be commanded to be strong and courageous. It's not his leadership brilliance or his military prowess or the fact that he has a bigger army. It's because the Lord is with him. Seven times in the passage, we are told that the land is something that, the God, that God is giving to the Israelites. Not something they have to earn. It's something that he is doing and will do and effectively saying is done. And this is the whole point of the book of Joshua, I think. It affirms this one central truth that God is the one who fulfills his promises. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Joshua chapter 21. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen. We're cheating and we're looking at the end of the story. Don't do this for murder mysteries, but with the Bible, it's always really helpful to understand how it works. This is the conclusion that's drawn after a whole chunk of Joshua's life. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the land gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And here's your memory verse from Joshua. Not one word, not one, of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And it wasn't because of Israel. And it wasn't because of Joshua. It was because of God. But that, of course, raises a question for us. Why the heck do we have Joshua then? You know, if God's got this, why, why is Joshua floating around? Uh, and the whole chapter really is, is, is effectively that, right? Joshua stepping in and taking control of the situation. So we need a second lesson. And here's the second lesson. Uh, it's not just that God fulfills his promises, but even though God, God's promises don't depend on God's leaders or God's people, but on God, God chooses to bring about his promises through his chosen leaders. So God fulfills his promises and he chooses to do that through his chosen leaders. Have a look there at verses 7 to 8. I skipped them just before. Be strong and very courageous. Now, note that very there, right? Invading a foreign land, fighting bloody battles, that's not the hard bit. This is the hard bit, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you'll be prosperous and successful. In other words, the greatest challenge that will face Joshua and by extension the nation of Israel as they head into the promised land, it's not the Canaanites who are living there. It's godliness. It's their perpetual temptation to sin. And Joshua's conduct before the Lord is so important for Joshua's success that God virtually, I don't really notice this, just repeats himself in verse 8. Verse 7 And then he just says the same thing, just in different words in verse 8. God will give them the land, but Joshua's conduct will have a bearing on how well that plays out. And you actually see this principle throughout Israel's history. If you kind of read the the, the former prophets, so Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, as long as there is a godly leader over Israel, then everything works out. 
If they're paying attention to the word of God, then the fortunes of Israel in the land prosper. But as soon as they die and they get a bad leader, well, they neglect the scriptures and the God who speaks them. And what they do is they fall into sin and then God responds in punishment. And so Joshua actually, which is really interesting in the history of the Bible, is one of uh, the few characters that never stuffs up. Not saying he never sinned, that's only Jesus, but, but there's no commentary on him ever stuffing up or failing or turning away from the scriptures. Now, not even Moses can claim that. And so what we see here is God working through his chosen leader to fulfill his promise and give the Israelites the land. And for those of you who are kind of, kind of chewing around these two lessons and, and thinking about them, you'll seem to notice that they contradict. Because on the one hand, God will fulfill his promises. That's unconditional. But then on the other hand, God chooses to fulfill his promises through his chosen leaders who are obedient. Well, well that's conditional, right? And so what we have here is a sort of a dilemma, a paradox. And understanding that tension between the two lessons that we see from Joshua 1 um, is really important for us. Because once we delve into that tension, we suddenly understand what Joshua is all about. And I'll tell you what it's not about. It's not about Joshua, and it's not about you. Let me show you why. Uh, Have a look up on the screen again here. Um, This is from Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, Joshua gets a mention in the New Testament, which does a lot of commentary in the Old Testament twice. And the only verse of any significance of those two is Hebrews 4. And this is what it says about Joshua. And interestingly, the only comment it makes about him is a negative one. The guy who never stuffed up. And this is what the New Testament says about him. For if Joshua had given the Israelites, that's the them, rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And so Joshua, who successfully takes Israel into the nation, it wasn't enough. The one thing that he was meant to do, give God's people rest from their labors and their enemies and settle them peacefully in the land, Hebrews says he never actually pulled it off. That's not because he was a dropkick. And it's not because, you know, like he was kind of useless at leading people or because he was ungodly. Um, But as we read the scriptures, what we see is that God's plan for his people in giving them the land is far greater and far grander than putting a particular people in a particular place in a particular land. The plans that he has for his people are not just for a physical rest, but an eternal rest. Because what happens? Well, Joshua dies. Israel falls back into sin and the very condition that assured them of the land, the obedience to the word, well, it no longer holds. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that there is something far grander to God's plan to bless all of the earth and rescue them from the curse of sin and death than causing the physical nation of Israel to physically inhabit that land in the Middle East. In Joshua, what God is doing is he is establishing a pattern about how he will finally fulfill his promises. He will do them. He will do them through a chosen leader who, like Joshua, will live and lead in obedience to the word of God. But unlike Joshua, that leader will also deal with the people's inability to obey that word. And he will bring them into God's eternal rest. Now, it shouldn't come as any surprise to any of you here at the Christian Union that the person that does that is Jesus Christ, whose name, incidentally, in Hebrew is Joshua. It means God's saves. And so what we see here then in chapter 1 is that Joshua is only a pattern and a shadow of God's true leader, 
providing rest in a land that will only be a pattern and a shadow of God's true rest in his eternal land. And once we've understood that, that Joshua projects forward to a final fulfillment, then we can understand how Joshua 1 is a prophetic word to you today as you start university. Because what is Joshua 1 about? It's about the fulfillment of God's promises. And what is it that God promises? Well, he promises to bless the world through Abraham by removing the curse of sin and death, restoring us to holiness and life, not in the promised land of Canaan, but in the new heavens and the new earth, where those he makes righteous will dwell forever. And he does that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we hear that exhortation to be strong and courageous, for you will have success wherever you go, the success is not a blanket statement that you can just kind of cut and paste and put into any situation of life. Because God is not talking about your uni degree. He's not talking about your relationships. He's not talking about your material prosperity. He's talking about seeing you safely through to the end with your faith in Christ intact into his promised rest, into a land that is far greater than the one that he granted Israel through Joshua. And so I'm sorry to say, God doesn't promise you that you will pass your units, doesn't promise you that you'll make friends, and he doesn't promise you that you will have great success whether you tread on the UWA campus. What he promises is that whatever happens... Whether you pass, fail, whether you're happy or sad, whether life is a string of great times, whether it's a string of deep tragedies, he will see you home. So the challenge for us today is to lift your vision. Because what God promises you is not something so small and pedestrian as your aspirations at university. He promises you life in the land Eternal rest, citizenship in his heavenly kingdom, a place of perfect peace and justice, without fears, without anxieties, without assignments, all under the rule of the Lord Jesus, who guaranteed it all for us. So lift your vision, because God's promise is not about your life. It's about your eternal life. It's not about your entry into university. It's about your entry into God's promised rest and that's why you need the word that God speaks in Joshua chapter 1 because you are at a tipping point in your life Uh, and this is just a fact of life this is true both statistically and anecdotally if you are going to fall away from the Christian faith this period of transition from school to university that's the time it will happen you'll become distracted you'll become overwhelmed you'll be enticed the training wheels are off and what God says to you in this space is that I have promised I will be present so be strong and courageous like my servant Joshua like my son Jesus so hold fast to my word don't turn to the right and fall into the social pressures of godless living and partying and drunkenness and sexual morality don't turn to the left and get consumed with study and marks and trying to ace your gamsat now that you have no time for the things of God. Instead, decide now to keep the scriptures always on your lips, like Joshua, meditating on them day and night, so that you might be careful to do all that is in them. Because that is the right response to the God who has done everything for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it is the means by which God guarantees that he will bring you safely into his promised land. And so the invitation today for you is will you join us at the Christian Union? And will you let us help you during your time at university do just that? So that together we can put down distractions, we can put off temptations, we can learn what it is to be strong and courageous as Christians, putting our faith in God's promise of eternal life, no matter what uni throws at us. Will you join us? Because we'd love that. How about I pray? It looks at things, we've got a couple of minutes so we can do some questions if you have them. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the encouragement that it is to us, uh, that it lifts our vision and helps us put a bead on the horizon and keeps us steady. Pray for all of us this year that in the, the, the rush of university we won't get distracted, but instead we will keep our eyes fixed on you and your chosen leader who brings us into your promised land. We ask this in his name. Amen. Cool beans. I'll give you a moment to collect your thoughts. Um, if there are any questions, we'd love to hear them. Otherwise, I'll hand it back over to Jeremy, who can tell us what we need to do next. Hit us up, brother. Sorry, I'm not laughing at the question. It's a great question. It's just let's choose the most complicated and difficult, theologically complex question to to answer. The, The question is essentially, if God is sovereign over his promises and he brings his promises about through his people, how does his people have any free will or or right of autonomy or choice? Um, There is a long answer to that question. Uh, It's satisfying biblically, may not be satisfying rationally. That doesn't bother me too much. The short answer to the question is simply that God has... uh, created creation in such a way that he is entirely sovereign over every part of it. He's not just setting up the circumstances, but when I choose to do this, he is involved in the very decision and action to do that. And yet in some complex, profound way that we do not know, the scriptures also affirm the fact that when I do this, isn't that way? I'll do that again. That is still a choice for which I have decided and significantly am morally responsible for. Now, I know you're, you're laughing. Yeah, Matt's going to come into judgment for hitting this table. But, but what, that, what that means is that the decisions that we make that are of greater moral import than just hitting the table, we will be held accountable to, and that will be just in the same moment as we can affirm that God is completely sovereign in everything and in every action and yet is not culpable for the evil that happens in the world. That's the very short answer of a very complex question, and I'm glad you're asking. So hopefully that kind of at least gives you a a bit to chew on. Well, what that means here for Joshua is that God is working in Joshua in the same way that God is working in Jesus uh, to be and live a perfect life, to therefore die a perfect sacrifice for us. Any other questions? Cool. Cool. Well, I'll hand it back to Jeremy and we'll go nuts.